my nanny taught me a song today. Getting to know <laughs> you, getting to know all about you. You can sing most anything. Today's movies, The King and I versus The Sound of Music. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Movie Deja Vu, a podcast that answers the question, didn't I see this somewhere, from two movie aficionados. I am not Nanny McPhee. I'm John. And with me is the little, I mean, child that is not my responsibility because I am not a nanny. My co-host, Shady. Unfortunately, Shady lost her voice. (laughs) So we called in a very special guest. He composed all the different variations of our title song. He's also a New York City actor, as well as a YouTube personality. It's Nick Bombasino, everyone. Woo! Hello. Welcome, Nick. Thank you. Nick, by the way, thank you so much for doing all of our title songs. We really appreciate them. Yeah. (laughs) We love them. (laughs) Um, so we're, we're tasking Nick to talk movies with us about The King and I and The Sound of Music. Um, so little background about these nanny movies. Uh, we have The King and I. It came out in 1956. It is written, the screenplay is by Ernest Lemon, Lehman? I'm saying his name wrong and I'm not sorry about it. With music uh, by Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's directed by Walter Lang. It's got a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And on Metacritic, it's got 72 out of 100 reviews. And that is, uh, I mean, a, a score of 72 out of 100. And that is out of six reviews, four positive, two mixed. Uh, and on IMDb, it says... A widow accepts a job as a live-in governess to the king of Siam's children. I mean, yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's the logline. So, that, yeah, and that's the movie, everyone. <laughs> uh, and then we're comparing that today to the Sound of Music, which came out very close to ten years later. If you literally switch the last two numbers in the, when the King and I came out. That's when The Sound of Music came out in 1965. Um, The screenplay is also by Ernest Lehman, which tickles me a little bit on the inside. Uh, And also music is by Rodgers and Hammerstein. Uh, It is directed by Robert Wise. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 83% fresh rating and on metacritic it's got a 63 out of 100 and that is out of 11 reviews uh six positive three mixed and two negative okay (laughs) and according to imdb a woman leaves an austrian convent to become a governess to the children of a naval officer widower I mean, <laughs> really, <laughs> IMDb did there our job go. for IMDb did our job yeah, for really. us. But we're gonna yeah. um, we're gonna talk more. Let's break it down by like a skeletal plot. You know, like strip all the the hoop dresses and the nuns away. Um, for starters, we've got a white woman is employed to take over to take care of multiple children. I mean. They, IMDb both said that, so it must be true. Um, the father of the children is a tyrant, in a way. Uh, children are introduced to the governess in a ceremonial style. Uh, the woman is defiant of the aggressively strict father. 
and the governess and the father aggressively flirt in, a, in subtle ways, which in turn breaks down the father's emotional walls. Um, the father hosts a party, hooray, and then the male lead Yay. is also involved in politics. And then basically after the party, that's where they both like diverge. <laughs> very very separately yep did you notice yep, anything absolutely. else like bare bones plot wise nick um i mean that's in terms of stripping away all the story elements and just going for plot yeah um that's pretty much it um i mean you can kind of break it down to say that the significance of it is the sound of music as a third act um, like pretty much fully entirely. And uh, even though it's split up in an intermission and traditionally it's a two act show, if you're talking about the story, there's a third act after kind of the, like after the wedding almost. So there's a little bit more to that movie, but for oh, yeah. the King and I, it kind of stops, you know? Um, and you also see that literally on the, on the hour counter where one stops at, you know, 2.15, the other one goes to 2.55. So it's like that like so it kind of goes not beat for beat but it does go follow you know it, um, it tra yeah it tracks basically up to that point um there yeah i mean i guess that's plot i'm starting to think about character but yeah i'm not gonna lie cool. this is my first time ever watching this the the king and i <laughs> i've never watched it before doing this episode and you know i i think this is uh, Shady was the one that suggested this and I was just like they had the same movie and you know <laughs> watching them I'm like oh I get it because even in the music they're the same uh, not necessarily musically but like the meaning behind each song is, is similar right um yeah, they both have, uh, diverging from the plot, you know, talking about the, the music numbers, they both have the, you know, song where the man considers his emotions. They have the mm -hmm. duet sung by the young lovers in the backlit woods, you know, um, and there's the, you know, song near the beginning of the movie where the lead woman sings about pretending that she's confident when she's not. Um, so it very much is sort of... <laughs> similar strokes as far as that goes i mean i have confidence in me uh, that's all i gotta say i mean i've got confidence in sunshine <laughs> and in rain. Um, um but yeah you also have um, yeah. the ran the rando song the the little house of uncle thomas and the lonely goat herd that mm -hmm. the little house of uncle thomas that is like I don't have my notes with me and they're, they're not right next to me. And that's so, so upsetting, but there, it, that section is like 13 minutes, <laughs> something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Whereas the lonely goat herd is like six minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a chunk. So yeah, we also have the, um, the one that the song that gets stuck in your head. You know, you have Getting to Know You and Do Re Mi, which once, yep. once they started singing that first chorus, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm done for. <laughs> um, yeah. I also noted that there was like a secondary love subplot. That sounded redundant. Let me fix words. There was a secondary love storyline going on with... Mm -hmm. Luntha, Luntha and Tupton, as well as Liesel and Rolf. And I'm going to throw another one out there. In The King and I, there was Kralaholm, the prime minister for the, the king. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely something going on there. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, and that didn't like, yeah, that didn't super stick in my brain, but I know what you mean now. Um, but there is also worth noting the love triangle 
or several of triangles. So one of the things that I thought about, it's not so much plot, but it is kind of story element that we can put side by side is both of the leading women are devoted to men who live in the sky. Um, because we have Anna who's devoted to her husband and Maria who's devoted to Jesus um, and God. So you sort of have these women who come in saying, you know, like, this is where my heart is. This is, you know, where my head is. And then they show up and have that sort of swayed. The one interesting piece of King and I that you don't get in terms of this love plot thing it, well, King and I, you get um, Edward, who comes in, the, you know, the British dignitary, and they had a history from before when she was married. And it's not very big. It's obviously just a, sort of thrown in there as part of the main love plot. But you don't really have that in Sound of Music, except when Maria goes back to the Abbey. Yeah, um, the Baron. They're the not Baroness. really equivalent. Well, you have the Baroness. Yeah, you have the Baroness on that side. I mean, and there's also... Um, the captain has his first wife. Like, right. uh, the, there's got to be some, there's something there. It's never really said out loud, but you can tell that like, um, he's stricter because she's gone. Well, yeah. And I mean, they do say that, you know, after she left, that's when music was not allowed in the house. And that was sort of when he started running the, um, there's a scene with Maria where she is discussing with the lead, you know, the, the housekeeper, um, whose uh, name has Frau Schmidt. me. Yes, Frau Schmidt. Oh, I knew it was Frau. Um, so, because they're all Frau's. <laughs> um, they're, where they're discussing that, and you know, she specifically says um, that uh, after the wife died, that's when he started running things like a naval ship. But, you know, it's also probably been that way for quite some time. Whereas the foil to that in The King and I is the many, many wives of the king who are still currently alive. And it's not yeah. quite the same because his, his, you know, inspiration for running the house the way that he does is that he's the king. Yeah. And he's just very stubborn and used to getting his own way until Anna, is that her name? I almost said Maria yes. and I knew that was wrong. <laughs> In my head are many facts of which I wish I was more certain. I was sure. I actually read from a IMDB trivia, this whole thing about comparing the songs and and I did that before watching the sound of music, rewatching the sound of music, and I was like, "Oh yeah, they're right." Um, like, "Shall We Dance" is the Landler, Landler. I can't speak German or Austrian to save my life. The waltz, basically. Mm-hmm. The yeah. like that's the same thing. And "Whistle a Happy Tune" is my favorite things. Um, a man who needs your love is climb every mountain. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they you know they they go beat for beat with that. But what's interesting is I hadn't really compared the two so closely before, and I actually also I don't think I've watched The King and I since maybe once when I was a kid. You know, like it's and you know, we also just need to acknowledge that there are lots of things about that movie that have not aged well, um, no. both in terms of the material, if we want to, and because we can't lay it all in the movie, but, um, you know, it is just, there are lots of, uh, lots of things that I don't know if we want to acknowledge or, or not, or, or just acknowledge that that's a separate conversation, but, um, we're going to say that's a there, separate you know, you have, <laughs> Yeah, um, which we'll, I'm sure, reference at some point. But um, putting the music sort of side by side, what I find interesting is that I sort of feel like both the film and the show for King and I, it's like the last of a period. And then the sound of music is the first of a period, very much so. In that if you're looking at musical complexity, if you're looking at acting styles, if you're looking at design, um, also, I mean, you can't really put the the casting side by side because, you know, in Sound of Music, it's all white people playing white people. Um, so again, that's that's not as comparable, but musically speaking, they draw on 
you know, uh, sort of they, for King and I, they draw on, you know, traditional, you know, ish traditional music um, and sort of tonal patterns. And then they do a lot the same for Sound of Music. But the complexity in Sound of Music is so much higher. There's a lot more um, like polyphony. There's duets there, you know, like the way that, the way that, for example, Maria sings with the children, um, you know, we all know in the, the do, you know, do, re, mi, how there's all sorts of different, you know, fuguing and all these different things. And when Anna sings with the children, it's all like call and response, simple kind of stuff. Right. It's either um, her so I'll talk or more all about of that them. later. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. that, that, that appetizer of this. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any um, other, I mean, I said dead spouse, but like well, we already talked about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's that. Um. Well, musically speaking, both of the so- both of the shows, the first songs are in F. I have a lot of that kind of um, stuff that I was taking a look at because there's a whole school of thought of like different keys inspire different emotions. Um, but yeah, so both of them have opening songs, not the overture, but the opening first song are both in F. Um, in terms of other you know, similarities, I think talking not necessarily about the the movies themselves, but they were, they had a very similar trajectory of inspiration where in both cases, these women wrote memoirs, which were then published, which in the case for uh, the the King and I, it was memoirs, which became a book, which then was inspiration for the musical and then the film. And then in the case of Santa Music, it was the memoirs, which was inspiration for, German film, which was then inspiration for the musical and then the movie. Um, and mm-hmm. that all sort of happened about 10 years apart on both sides. Both of the, the, Broadway show, the Broadway shows were about, it was just under 10 years apart, and then the films were just over 10 years apart. No, they were under. Um, so that's a similarity. The, Wasn't the, the movies Oh, yeah, 56 and 65, years. right. They were both nine years, yeah, nine years apart. I flipped the numbers in my head. Um, was there anything else that was similar? I mean, they both have similar plot points where the woman leaves um, oh, because yeah. of um, her reaction to the man, but it's very different circumstances um, and, and different Ma- points in well, the film. And Maria actually leaves. Anna, Anna, um, does, Anna threatens the whole time and then when she's about right. to leave at the end, that's when she hears that the king is dying, which I'm going to call bullshit on that. Yeah. But that's another story. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, and that's the, the discussion of opera and opera's role in both of these um, movies and its influence on them. Um, because oh, yeah. different things are, you can see the, the influence of opera and storytelling and opera music in different places in both of these. Um, I suppose the last observation that, that I had that I'm remembering that was similar, it's admittedly flip, but both of the women start the show carrying some sort of prop that they barely use for the rest of the movie. In Anna and the King, it's her son, and in uh, Santa Music, it's the guitar, which gets used a few times, but mostly by other people, and the same thing can be said of her son, because yeah. the, <laughs> several times in that movie, it's like, where is her son? What is he doing? Um, <laughs> Why Why are we not concerned about this? So. Yeah, there's like a whole hour that the sun doesn't show up at all. And then she all of a sudden... Yeah, at least that. All of a sudden, she's like, time to go. Pack up, child. <laughs> Pack up, Louie. We got to get Louie onto the boat. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. And Shady wrote in that Christopher Plummer and Yul Brenner are both hot daddies, which, um, yes, I'm not going to disagree with her on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, both with the uh, well, like um, uh, strong eyebrows. Um, I don't know what was up with the old Brenner, but he just wanted to show his torso the whole time. I felt like he would, he would go right if and you watch it. He would go out of his way sometimes just to be like, "Look at my chest. Let me, let me right, open just up to my dramatically throw up in his coat." The captain was always buttoned clothed up. and buttoned up and everything, but you know, you right. can get it. <laughs> right. Um, all right, let's go into differences. For starters, the the major one that I have, well, one of the major ones is that Anna is there to teach English to the kids as well as the wives eventually. And Maria um, 
is there to replace the like the motherly duties that the dead well, wife yeah it's essentially a nanny yeah um a governess yeah and it feels like it feels like Maria cares more about the kids than Anna did. Yeah, I mean that that gets into I think the 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 iceberg that I was um, approaching earlier of the differences of the period of time of these movies and these stories because a lot of what we owe to I think the the relationship that we get to see with Maria and the kids are because of the movie being made when it was made and also a credit to Julie Andrews acting which I posit is much more realistic and ahead of its time than most of the other acting in the movie. Um, aside from maybe Christopher, Pl- Christopher Plummer, but he's so even keeled, uh, Navy pun, um, that, uh, you know, it's hard to say, but like you put her up against the Baroness and it is quite literally and probably intentionally old world versus new world here. Um, so you get a lot of that emotion from them. Um, but, you know, it's also, taking into account the fact that I think, you know, the source material is written from someone who eventually became their mother. And for, you know, you know, the, the King and I, from my understanding, there was no such continuing relationship. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong on that. I didn't um, see anything. I mean, in both the movie and in real life, he dies. So, I mean, everyone right. dies, but like in the movie, he just, dies at the end which i want to say it was of a broken heart but that's just me and my hopeless yes. romantic side no it, it was yeah um it was a broken heart for several several reasons um but it, it felt so, like you it felt like you kind of touched upon this too where so like i said he dies but then at the end of the von trapp family is starting a new life because they're leaving austria so one's more right. of a downer than the other i mean yes they're they're fleeing austria because he doesn't want to join the Nazi party, but like they're literally climbing upwards and onwards right. with, the, it with is, their life. They are and quite with literally. Story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think other differences definitely um, come into play in terms of, let's talk about some of the subplots. Like if we talk about the subplot of the young lovers in, we have, we have forbidden mm-hmm. love but for different reasons. In the case of The King and I, it's the fact that, you know, Tuptim is owned by the king and she was in love with the other guy who brought her there first. And, um, you know, that is forbidden for that reason. And then in the other one, it starts off, you know, with, with uh, Sound of Music. They're not forbidden really for any reason, but it becomes this awful thing because he, you know, is a Nazi and Which... they are people with, you know, morals um which he shows so, tendencies like really quickly if you re- if you he does watching this i was like oh i didn't realize that it was that right fast. yeah it's like oh boys boys a nazi in the first scene he has but it's not a problem in the first scene because at that point especially from liesel's perspective and the fact that you know her dad doesn't know about it you know the only reason really why it's forbidden is she's sneaking around with a boy um but then as the movie goes on it it becomes they become more aware of of what that of what that problem is um well speaking of these men i mean like yeah. roth becomes a nazi whereas lunta dies dies yeah i mean um, it's not we don't stage. see it we, we that's the thing we don't see it so i wasn't sure if that was them lying uh to tupton or if that was truthful no i took it as very greek uh in that the they just tell us what happens offstage and you accept it. The, um, the awkwardness you know, that, of it all? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think, you know, there's, I think there's that. I think another, obvi- you know, obviously the difference is how, how the movies end because, you know, the king and I, the king dies and we sort of leave it there and his son picks up, you know, where he left off. And this one, yeah. uh, I keep saying this one as though, anybody else knows what I'm thinking at, at that moment, but in The Sound of Music, um, obviously he does not die, they get married, and spoiler, they escape uh, from the Nazis. Um, so... I hate to break it to you, Nick, but this isn't a visual medium, this is an audio one, so... I know. I <laughs> Use know. your words. I'm Italian, I have to gesture. Ah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. But yeah, definitely that it's really the, the, the ending of the, like, he and I was very fascinating. Cause like, like I said, I've never seen it before. So mm-hmm. watching this, my reaction was just like, he dies. That's how you end it. But like the fact that you have the son coming in and doing his, um, like he's decreeing new things that he wants to fix and things like that. Uh, yeah. Or change. Um, I think that that dovetails into the next big difference in my head, which was the arcs of these people go in sort of different directions because in the King and I, you actually have the two of them starting off agreeing like about the education of the children, for example, they're on the same page and then things get worse and worse and worse to the point where you can build to the scene where, you know, he wants to whip Tuptim and she's defying that. Whereas with Maria and the captain, they start off at odds and then end up being on the same page. Um, so it's sort of inverse in terms of how that arc goes. Yeah, I, want, let, let's, I would argue. Let's delve more into that. Cause like I've wrote down that Maria always stood her ground with the captain. Like she never, mm-hmm conceded or anything whereas Anna um with that whole head thing I know she's doing it to please the man but like it seems like she's conceding a little bit like she's not being headstrong or um trying to get her own like trying to make him listen to her right listen to her in her own way she has to be like all right I'll play your game hopefully you'll listen but Maria's just like, no asshole. The kids need happiness. <laughs> we gotta, yeah. gotta bring joy back into their lives. God damn it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think yeah. That that's that is exactly, exactly. You know, right in terms of in terms of the differences there. Um, and I think that's probably why. <laughs> if you want to think about why life turns out the way that it does, that's probably why both of these stories turned out the way that they did. Um, <laughs> but um, another. Another thing that I had thought of too was it's it's sort of diverging from from this difference, but I do think another big difference that's not to do with as much the plot but more the story elements is that both of these movies, as we talked about, deal with the fact that there's a war going on outside of our bubble. Um, yeah. In you know the King and I, it's the Civil War, and you know all of the tumultuous changes in you know, the British Empire and everything that's happening in, you know, the mid 1800s. And then, you know, with the sound of music, it's the, um, the start of, you know, the, the Nazis sweeping because you're talking about Anschluss and, and all of that. In the case of sound of music, it actually happens there. We deal with it. It hits there. But in the King and I, it never hits. We're never dealing with what because happens to Siam. The King and I... Yeah, the King and I is happening right around the Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, I had I had to look yeah, it up. So I was like, what year was it? 1862. Yeah, it's it's happening like right smack dab in the middle of it. But Right. Um because the with the sound of music, it's also it's at the beginning of the of World War II. Right. Um, but where we get to in the movie is it actually I guess my argument is that it actually hits their lives and ah, affects gotcha. them. Whereas the other war does not actually make it to them because it is the beginning of world war two, but it, it, we deal with the annexation of Austria mm-hmm. um, in a way that we don't deal with what, yeah. you know, it inevitably happens to Siam, but that, you know, that's sort of not really connected to the American civil war, but you know, <laughs> we're not here to give geography yeah. any lessons. <laughs> no, no. Although they do in The King and I. <laughs> Speaking of geography lessons, let's talk about how the children <laughs> react to the governess. You've got, the Great. kids seem really happy that Anna's there, as well as, mm, I want to say about 90% of the wives. I mean, Tupton gives mm-hmm. her side eye and all that, but Tupton has her own issues to deal with. Whereas Maria has to earn her trust and affection from the kids by not being a snitch because snitches get stitches. Right. <laughs> I actually wrote that in my yeah. notes. Snitches get stitches. <laughs> yeah. 
It's really fascinating. And obviously, like, the number of children is also vastly different. I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I counted 12 kids during that procession. But I feel like there um, were more so in the classroom. There were more in the classroom, but not only that. For the most part, we kind of got, like, the top 15 kids. He says that he's got 106 children, and there are five more on the way. It's a lot of kids. Sorry, 13. Uh, and of course, we never see them. There are 13. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. I wrote twin yeah. princes as one line. I didn't count it as two. Right. <laughs> right. But um, yeah. Which is like a fun thing that we don't see ever again. He's got a lot. Fact that, you know. He's got a lot of stamina. Well, that's all I got to say about well, him. Well, yeah. But I mean, we, that's also like huge difference right there is, you know, not even something that I made a note of, but is glaring is that like, we don't get to know the kids in The King and I. We only really get to know the prince. And that's really from like two or three scenes where, you know, he's, you know, we, we get a little bit of his arc. We don't, you know, get, we see them and, you know, we see scenes with them, but we don't develop a relationship with them. Possibly because there's 106 kids. Um, you you ready like, for this pronunciation of it? <laughs> I am sure. Prince Jaffa <laughs> Tulalongkorn. I did it. I did it. It was much better than Battle Royale. <laughs> but continue with I, your point. I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean, that's basically it. Is that, that, that's a huge difference in, in the movies is that one of them, the kids are sort of a device and just an, an almost like, almost more of an environmental given circumstance. And then in um, Sound of Music, we actually have relationships. We have arcs. We've got, you know, um, yeah. they make visible effect on all of the main characters and you know the reverse is true too where you know the kids grow and we know their names and you know even though of course we know their attitudes again, we know their ages even right they, exactly but like yeah so, in the king and i there's also princess ying Wa wallow nope not even gonna try there's there's another princess but like there's only two children that have names not just we know about chalfa right. we learn more about him because he gets more lines obviously but the princess only comes right. in at the end again to be like no tell anna to stay or whatever she says i don't remember right <laughs> there was like five wives that had names but there's clearly like mm, 20 in the scene yeah yeah um yeah, and then obviously you have Anna was married to a real man and Maria is a nun right. married to Jesus and all that. That's another difference too, where we don't know anything about Mar about Maria. Uh -huh. I almost said Maria. Anna, before <laughs> the movie start, like, like we don't know anything about her life before she gets off the boat or she, when she's on the boat. Right. We, we, have, yeah, we know very, very little. And we have a whole song about Maria that we get twice in the movie where one time is definitely not appropriate. No, it's like, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Marry her off. Um, <laughs> so that's, it's great. Issues, issues. Yeah. Uh, were there any other differences that you noticed or can think um, of off the top of your head? Right, right this second, go. Right to second. Well, there is, I mean, there is no complicating love interest, interestingly, for the king um, in The King and I, because he oh has God, all of these I wives, run? but they're not presented as, as love interests. His, his conflict is between, his, like, two versions of himself. I didn't write um, that. I didn't even yeah. say that. That, like, in The King and I, the love story between Anna and the king is not fully realized because he dies uh well where, not only that but i noted this that the 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 whole love story actually really only becomes put on the table with half an hour left in the movie you can kind of make an argument i think that that like the grounds for that were laid a lot earlier because you know it's it's tied into their, their it's all their, in like um, the looks and the and the head thing you know right yeah um but like up to a point i think for me it was like up until the half hour point I was like, oh, they could just, they're just kind of like friends and they're kind of like equals and butting heads. It didn't, it wasn't presented 
directly in their acting, I think, in the same way as like, this will be a love story. It was just like sort of almost more organic, I think. Oh, I read um, it. I read it as flirty. Finale of Act One, where that's where they're praying and all that. And he's going lower and yeah. lower and upper yeah, and up. Yeah. There's that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. How the women break the men is also different. Um, <laughs> the king is the king is still very stubborn to everyone else, but he's a little calmer to Anna. You know, like when they're talking one-on-one, um, whereas the captain is just like broken. As soon as he hears the kids sing, he's like, change of life. Let's skip in daisies, everyone. Well, and I think part of that is because we're dealing with, with the king. We're dealing with somebody who we sort of have to accept has been this way for his entire life. Except we get, I feel like we get kind of the idea that maybe he was like his son when he was a kid. Um, and then, you know, you become a king and you're a king. I think for the captain, we get, we get painted the idea that he used to be a happy man and there used to be music in the house. So he has less far to go. If you want to talk about like reversal for character, his reversal is a lot, a a lot um, shallower and a lot easier to to manage in that sense, because, you know, it's, it's obviously a, a traumatic event that has caused the change in him instead of like, an ascension to a level of power that causes a change in the king. But, um, you know, it's, it, you know, it's different circumstances. So difference. Hurrah, huzzah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, there are, there are a lot of little differences that probably aren't worth, you know, worth noting in terms of a big sense, because obviously there are a ton of little differences, but like, that's probably it for big ones. Okay. So we did it. We talked about it. We created our little Venn diagram, if you will. Let's go into special features. Special features. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. So usually we take a movie to do further research uh, for some trivia and fun facts and the hopes to surprise each other. However, since Nick is here and he's like, our music man, if you will. Haha, another musical reference. <laughs> uh, we were hoping that, Nick, maybe you can like talk some music to us, maybe trivia about Rodgers and Hammerstein or about the, what their writing styles or anything. So floor is yeah. yours. Here's the soapbox. Um, cool. But talking about music, I also do have some fun uh, trivia about the family von Trapp, which I would like to discuss. Um, but talking about music, like I was talking about before, um, there are a lot of similarities between these. And, you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein's uh, music all has a similar kind of flavor in the same way that most composers' works end up having a similar flavor. They all sort of feel like they're of a universe, um, with some exceptions, of course. I was talking about the influence of opera on these two and you know both of the both of the musicals feature the the style that has sort of disappeared if you want to talk about like through composed modern musicals if people out there listening are like fans of modern musicals you end up having something where you don't have a repeated chorus words aren't necessarily repeated it's just like through written it's a monologue it's all acting driven sound of music is sort of in between um, the style that we see in The King and I, which is all very strictly set up with like, you have a verse, which is, um, you know, like just like an operatic introduction. And then you have the chorus, refrain, whatever you want to call it, or um, the, uh, the aria, if you will, um, for opera style. So you very much have that same formula for almost all of the music, not, not every piece, but it very much always follows that. And for people, you know, uh, talking about music, some some people, you know, are familiar with this stuff, some people aren't. Um, it's the kind of thing where when you're listening to it, you hear people sort of trailing up and thinking about, you know, it's like you have a lot more, you know, when you have the free kind of motion, that's when you have a character who's sort of doing some introspective thinking and then you settle into the refrain which ends up being usually like a verse chorus verse chorus kind of structure that we think of in sound of music 
you see that, but a lot of it breaks down. You have a lot of repetition. You've got a lot of waltzing. Um, you have, which there, and there's waltzing. There is waltzing in The King and I, um, because I mean, Rodgers and Hammerstein love nothing if not a waltz. Um, <laughs> so you end up with, but like I said, I, I talked about this earlier, and this is, this is the biggest thing to note, is you take a look at um, the fact that the show was written for the, for the King and I, it was written in 1951. Um, and that was when it was in Broadway, and then two years later it was in the West End. Um, it, you know, just similar trajectory for Sound of Music. That was 59. It was, it was almost the same amount of time afterwards that it hit the West End. That's interesting. So that you're coming... Started here and went over there. Yeah, started in Broadway and went to, uh, went to the West End. Um, with The King and I, you have a lot more sort of strict adherence to that style, and you have things like the duets are very much one person sings, the other person sings, they sing together, sometimes um, the same melody, sometimes in harmony. Whereas in The Sound of Music, you end up with polyphonic singing, which is like people singing multiple parts. There's, you know, the whole thing starts off with a lot of, you know, if you're talking about choral singing, there's also uh, both of them deal with religious music uh, in a way um, in that you end up having a whole, you know, the end of act one in the King and I is, you know, sort of a composed Buddhist chant. And then in the sound of music, you have myriad nuns, just like an army of nuns singing all the time. And then even some monks in one little side shot. It's good that the composers kind of drew on the musical modes that they were given, you know, in the, in the, in the, the culture in question. And then some of the stuff that I made notes of in terms of the key, you end up with, like, like I said, so you end up with the opening songs both in F, which I think is interesting. When you, um, say, but the, in, when you say the opening song for... So, yes, opening, opening song, uh, Whistle, a happy tune, is in F. Whenever I feel afraid, I hold my head erect and whistle a happy tune so no one will suspect. And then the sound of music is an F. The hills are alive with the sound of music. I'm a bad theater person. So, I've never seen these shows. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen The King and I, except for this film, um, but not a lot of people do it, and I wonder why um, for today's, you know, world. Hmm. Who can say? Maybe because there was a song in the, um, the Broadway production uh, or the original, the original show called, um, oh, what is it? It's Western People Funny. Oh, no. So, that, so that's a thing. Well, it was cut for the movie. So, you know, good on them there. But yeah, so. They did one thing right. Little, little differences. <laughs> so you end up, like I said, I said this earlier, um, but you, you have a lot of the same numbers that sort of do the same thing. But it's almost unfair to draw that comparison between these two shows because that's just musical theater. Like you have the eleven o'clock number, you yeah. have the first duet of the two of them, you have the man somehow showing his emotions in a room where no one can see him. You have, you know, the young lovers back, like I said, the young lovers backlit in the woods, you know, singing a forbidden love song. There is a lot of similarity there, but um, yeah, what I find formula. the most it is, but I mean, the thing that I find the most interesting is you have the show written by the same team um, in terms of the, the book, lyrics, and music, or, well, the, the lyrics and music, um, where it's 10 years apart-ish, and the evolution is sort of striking in that sense, because you end up with all of this music from The King and I is, like I said, very sort of very simplistic, and you end up with a storyline that feels kind of Greek in scope. And the the music is simple in its in that opera format that I was talking about, where you sort of have one person giving an introduction and um, a one person giving an introduction and going into the refrain of the song, um, and then it's a duet, which is very very structured. But in the sound of music, they break down that form you know, a bunch. And, you know, there's a lot more of reusing of the, of the music. Although some of this, if we're talking just the movies, some of that also has to do with the arrangers for the movie, because mm. in Sound of Music, I would argue that they have a, uh, a much more clever use of um, reusing music. Like, for example, the waltz is, um, for the party, is, is favorite during... things. Oh, and right. then, yeah. 
And then you also have when they dance, they their dance is a waltz. So that's fun. Um, heard the dance between uh, Maria and the captain and the waltz is goat herd, um, but in a waltz format. Um, a waltz plays an interesting role in The King and I because they are, uh, the, the song that she sings about her husband, the reminiscing, her, she reminisces in a waltz. So that song is a waltz and they don't use waltz very much. A lot of people will remember the dance scene in The King and I. The infamous um, and one, yeah. The infamous, the infamous dance scene. However, that's a, that's a polka. Um, that's and a polka? It's a polka. It's a four count. It's a one, two, three, and one, two, three, and one, two, three, and um, instead of a one, two, three, one, two, three. Shall we dance? Shall we dance? Shall we dance? So you can't, so like the, the love couples are not, are literally not dancing in the same language, which I think is kind of fun. Um, because the composers must have, it's an intentional thing, a waltz versus a polka, because, you know, it's just totally different rhythms. But polka obviously shows up all over the place in Sound of Music because it's Austria. And, you know, everybody has a tuba in, in the closet in Austria that, you know, in this world that they've created. That's what I believe when I watch this movie. It's like, well, everybody's got a tuba. In King and I, it's almost everybody's dubbed. Yul Brenner is not dubbed, but Mar um, for Deborah Kerr, Marnie Dixon does all the dubbing. Um, uh, Rita Moreno's dubbed, I forget by who, but um, her love interest is also dubbed. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of dubbing, and that is not the case in The Sound of Music. They um, wanted actors who could do it all. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, don't, don't get me wrong here. I'm pretty sure for all of the scenes they'd like dubbed their own. You know, but it's them singing because you know. Well, they, yeah. Studio they did, sound was. <laughs> they they right. dubbed their own voices. It was not like right Marnie Nixon, yeah. or it's not like singing in the rain. It's not that singing in the rain, little voice. Um, me comes back, especially at the end. Well, especially like their yeah. ending performance. Don't me definitely never leaves you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I mean, can we talk about the the ending? I mean, I you know I love Sound of Music <laughs> dearly, but like every time they do that live performance, I just get to the end and it's like, okay, we get the jam thing, like jam and bread. Like, can we get a little bit more? Jam and bread, 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 jam, 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 jam. Maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe this is me being cynical. Edelweiss is sort of like un. I mean. To call it a hidden meaning would be generous, but it's an analogy for his relationship to Austria. And you know that it's, because um, Edelweiss is like the flower of Austria and yes. that it's going away. Especially when he sings it so, at the because, end. Right, and also that it ends with bless my homeland forever. Um, so like symbolism much. Um, so I have some other special features and fun trivia about the family von Trapp too, um, which some people may know and some people may not. In terms of historical accuracy for this movie, for The Sound of Music, they didn't actually escape to Switzerland. They, they in real life, went through Italy. And the, the, the timeline is a little fudged here because it's making it, you know, cinematic. But they were actually sort of singing together as a group for quite some time. And they had actually gone to America to perform first then they came back and then sort of the events ish of you know because they did enter a contest and they did win um but then they escaped through italy and then made it to america um because he was an italian citizen because he was born in what is now croatia which was part of italy um oh. so he they escaped through italy to america and they tried out pennsylvania for a bit and were like no no thanks um so they they went up to vermont um to stow which if you, if you can go there or see pictures of it, you kind of understand why. Because it's right in the middle of the Green Mountains, which are not as big as the Swiss Alps, of course. But they went up there and they bought land and built a lodge. Um, and originally it was called Unicorum. I think it was One Heart, but then it's now known as, and was soon after, as the Von Trapp Family Lodge. Um, and this is in Stowe. And it's like a ski lodge and you can go there, you can stay there. They're all buried there, or most of them are buried there, including Maria and the captain. And they have like, it's a giant Swiss chalet kind of, you know, it's just like, they've got tons of tiny little houses that you can rent, but then also a giant 
you know, big, like, it looks like a, a ski lodge, like a Swiss, a Swiss ski lodge kind of thing. Um, and it's up there in the hills. Um, so they all kind of settled up there and they performed as a family for a long time after that. Um, and then the, the kids kind of went their separate ways. Georg died. Georg and Maria are also about the only two names they didn't change because all of the kids had different names. Um, but Georg died and they kind of brought in different people into the family. So the Von Trapp family singers, um, they have music, you know, you can find. They performed professionally for a long time and then sort of threw in the towel. And then a bunch of them went to do missionary work. I forget where, maybe Malawi, but don't quote me on that. Look it up for yourselves at home, children. Um, <laughs> to the three listeners. Then they, have, so. Yeah. <laughs> then they came back. So, and Maria kind of ran the lodge. So up there, they also have a brewery. If you've ever had Trap Ale, that's Von Trapp family business now. Um, and they have a brewery there and you can go and you can have lunch and have beer, you know, very Austrian. Uh, they have delicious pretzels. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's gorgeous. So it's, it's like, a, you know, and they settled up there. And I remember when I was a kid, like the first time I heard about that, I didn't get to see it until later because um, I'm not in that part of Vermont, but like hearing that that was a real place, I was like, no, that's not. Um, Shady writes, do they have strudel? Of course they have strudel. So the whole, I'm I mean, gonna... the building is made of strudel. You have to even like, it's like console and gravel. You, like, um, I'm gonna propose so, this yeah. now, Shady, Nick, post-pandemic True. status, we're going, right? Great. Yeah. We've got our final thoughts section where we ask the same five questions every time. Nick, I'm going to ask you these questions. Shady, you can write in your answer if you feel like it. Um, Are there, do you, off the top of your head, do you think that there are other movies like The King and I and The Sound of Music. Doesn't have to be a musical in this case. The ones that I can think of is Mary Poppins, where, you know, she comes in, fixes everyone's lives mm-hmm. in a way. And it's, of course, Dame Julie Andrews. So right, that's, right. that's some royalty and some more um, beautiful music going on. Yeah, um, Bringing Down the House. Oh. Also a similar movie. In the same, in much the same way. Um, Isn't it? I've never seen Nanny McPhee, but I want to assume it is is similar. I have not seen Nanny McPhee. Okay, Shady agrees with me. Great. Um, <laughs> next question: Did we like these movies? Oh, yes. I love the sound of music. I mean, I I watched it millions of times as a kid. King and I, twenty twenty brain. My twenty twenty brain has some issues with it because you know. Slight racism. Yeah. But um, I will say with um I like I like the sound of music and I always have. Um so I suppose that's an unfair advantage there. But for the king and I, I liked watching it more than I thought I would based on my memory of it. Even though I did I did sort of allude to my feeling that it's a little bit antiquated um in terms of like act not not in terms of the 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 issue with um like diversity and you know inappropriate casting and writing but i mean in terms of like acting style um i it was a good exercise to watch um i found it interesting to watch yeah um and there were also while some of it is so backwards there is a lot of it that is was actually says some pretty good and forward things so we're, I'm starting the 2020 conversation, which we don't need to start. <laughs> and, and Shady says, there's stuff to like about The King and I, but I, Shady, wouldn't say I like the whole thing. She loves the sound of music, which goes into our next question. Would we watch them again? You know, I would watch both of these again. I mean, you've got, you've got pretty hoop skirts bouncing everywhere in The King and I. Can't go wrong with hoop skirts. Yeah. And you can have right. another what the fuck moment when you get to the little house of Uncle Thomas. I will, yeah. I, I probably will watch Sound of Music. Now that it's on Disney Plus, woo! Hopefully it's still on woo. Disney Plus when this episode comes out. <laughs> um, <laughs> would, we, would we recommend these movies? Yeah. Oh, I always recommend Sound of Music. Yes. 
Yes, it's three hours and surprisingly it moves for being three hours yeah. with an intermission. Um, I would say almost a similar answer to the previous question for the King and I. I would recommend it, but in the context of this needs to be discussed afterwards. It's sort of like, watch yes. this movie and let's talk about why this is, uh, you know, a, a problem. <laughs> um, but also what is good about it? Because there is like, you know, just like Shady said, there's so much that's good about The King and I um, right. that you can't discount all of that. But the context is intensely important. And then the last question, are they actually the same? I'm going to give it a hard yes. <laughs> no asterisks, I'm, no nothing. I'm giving it a hard yes. <laughs> I'm going to give it a no. Um, is that a hard no or is that like a no? Yeah, I'm going to give it a no. Um, okay. I'm going to give it a, a, a soft no in that <laughs> they're, they're the same elevator pitch. Um, they're, they're almost the same plot um, when you take away all the story elements. Um, but it's almost like two writers had the same idea and then they were like, I'm going to write my show. No, I'm going to write my show um, in terms of a, like a plot and dialogue standpoint. And then they diverged because, you know, it's almost like they were based on the same person. So Shady, I'm assuming sense. you give it also a soft no with this sentence that you wrote in where the King and I, like I seems like a rough draft of what would eventually become the sound of music, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. But to Nick's point, and to sense. also tie in other musicals, because, you know, I'm, I am a theater nerd, it's like Phantom, where you have Copet's Phantom and then Andrew Blade Weber's Phantom of the Opera, where it's the same right. story, but, like, they wrote different things. And they made things a little different here and there, but it's the same. Boil it down, same story. Right. So that's it. Nick, do you have anything you want to plug? Do you want to like, do you want people to follow you on, on the Twitter? Do you want people to like stalk you on Instagram? Oh God. Um, I have, I don't think I've tweeted since 2017. Um, I don't, I don't really <laughs> use Twitter. I should. Um, I mean, I'm on Instagram. You can, you can follow my name. Um, but I don't have a lot to plug right now because everything that I was working on, um, is with most of us, I'm sure, is like indefinitely paused because of the pandemic. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're not talking about the bad things. We're not bringing this around in the house. We're not um, bringing realism. I'll just here. say this. <laughs> I'll just say this. I have a lot of projects that are in development. Um, so nothing to plug right now. But if you do follow me, you'll see some stuff popping up later on. And what is your YouTube that I mentioned earlier that oh, you God. can watch Nick's mashups <laughs> from 10 years ago? And that is how I met Special him. features. <laughs> um, uh, my mashups, uh, you can also find that it's on YouTube. It's Monday mashups. Um, some of them aged well. Some of them did not age well um, on that similar uh, discussion uh, in terms of like how material ages over the years. Uh, I made a bunch of these mashups 10 years ago um, and they started off as like a weird fun project. And it was like, what do I do with the fact that I just did acapella for four years and have all of this pent up energy in me to make harmonies. So I just wrote, a, not wrote, but I arranged a bunch of songs um, and did some mashups that like, you know, Glee wished they had. Look for the Brady Bunch one, question mark. Um, and you'll understand what that means if you check them out. Yeah, you will. <laughs> um, um, Nick, we actually should have had you on last episode too. We did last episode Pitch Perfect and Eurovision Song Contest. The story of Fire Saga. I know. I'm sorry. Do you want to retape that one? Do you want to have uh, me give in some comments? <laughs> like I will. I will talk about both of those movies, like <laughs> until you fall down. Trust um, me. I had. I had to like rein Shady in because she wanted to like talk about Iceland for five hours, and I was like, "We're not talking well, about Iceland." <laughs> I think it's we're we're both in agreement, Shady and I, that we would love you to have you come back on. So my personal Twitter is John underscore watches underscore movies. And that is at movies, John and John has no H and cookie cookies. <laughs> Shady's personal Twitter is at cookie. Oh, Shady. If you want to write to us about 
your love of The Sound of Music and or argue that The King and I is a lovely film, you're more than welcome to. You can email us at moviedejavupod at gmail.com. That is M-O-V-I-E-D-E-J-A-V-U-P-O-D at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, woo! Where it needs some help, guys. Please give us some likes. Uh, <laughs> we're at Movie Deja Vu Pod. And then we're also on Twitter. We're at Movie Deja Vu. No pod, because why? We love continuity. Um, if you have any ideas for future episodes, please let us know. And for those of you that want to follow along with us, next week we'll be watching three movies this will be our first three-way movie episode we're doing troop beverly hills clueless and legally blonde all right guys that's all for now thank you again nick for coming on i hope you had fun this was a great time and see you next week or talk to you next week whatever whatever you're supposed to say (laughs) tune in next time So long, farewell, our readers and good night. I hate to go and leave this pretty sight. When I was a kid, I would always watch, like, the, we had the VHS, which was like two tapes. Yeah. I only ever, like, I knew the whole thing, but I usually only watched the first tape because that's like the one that had the fun songs on it. And I was like, once the Nazis show up, I'm out. I mean, that's what I usually say.